Magazine. This edition is brought to you by our sponsor, which is the head of the Charles Regatta program. And this program is part of the Faster Masters Rowing membership program, the individual um, or annual membership. And if you are training specifically for the head of the Charles program, you can join at fastermastersrowing.com slash programs. And um, part of our regular monthly individual program right now focuses on the head of the Charles Regatta program. There's also a program if you are training for the Visa World Masters or you are training for a head race that happens later in October or, or November. So if you are interested in our Head of the Charles program, again, go to fastermastersrowing.com slash programs, and um, you will see the program in the individual membership. So I would like to welcome Jess DiCarlo. Hi, Jess, how are you? Hi, Marlene, I'm good. And Jess is with us this month um, to bring our regular feature, which is the book of the month. And her book this month is called Rowing Through the Barbed Wire Fence by Rima Caroline. And uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about the book, Jess, and why you chose this book. Um, so I've been, I've had this book for, I don't know, a few months. And it's about, um, uh, group of rowers, um, Lithuanians, um, although it, it takes place from 1961, roughly until um, through the Tokyo Olympics um, in 64, the first one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was going to say, wow, that's a pretty, wow, until <laughs> Tokyo Olympic, that's a really long period of training, Big isn't book. it? <laughs> so, so from um, like 1961 to 1964, right? Okay. Yeah. And um, so I hesitated to read it because I knew at the time it, Lithuania was part of the Soviet Union and I, I, I was afraid it would be upsetting. Um, but it really wasn't. And, and then sort of when things happen with Ukraine and I thought, oh, I need to read this book to try to understand the world better because my history knowledge is pretty, pretty lacking. So I learned a lot with this book and I actually read it quite slowly at the beginning. I was looking up um, history and events mm -hmm. and things like that. So, um, so the main uh the main action is um well the main character who was a real person his name was uh povilas lutkaitis mm -hmm. um and he was a lithuanian lithuanian rower i believe he passed away now but his daughter wrote this book okay. Rima. um and i wasn't sure at first but it i looked it up and it is the case that that's his daughter and um she was a rower so you know you're getting a good perspective uh from that from that point but um so he has a somewhat sad family history his parents were um friendly with uh the lithuanian nationals who wanted who didn't want to be a part of the soviet union and um so he was 
um, because of their involvement and his sister's involvement, his father was taken to a, a gulag for, you know, in prison for 10 years and then five years of um, exile, same with his sister. But so because of their involvement, he was small at the time. And so he it was him and he had three other siblings. I think they were all boys besides his sister who were left in Lithuania. And um, so they were sort of kept from traveling. Um, mm -hmm. There's this word that I thought was very interesting. I mean, it's just the word that means they were forbidden from traveling abroad. It's Nevyednosh. Well, at, at, at the right. and well at that time in the Soviet Union, no one could travel abroad. I mean, you you could not. I mean, during during the Soviet time, no no one was allowed to travel travel abroad unless they had a a an, what was called an exit visa. So at that at that oh. time, nobody could just freely travel abroad. Every anyone who traveled abroad needed permission so whether they were an artist or an athlete or you know you or an mm -hmm. individual you you had to have special you had to have special permission during during the soviet era to to travel abroad which was why it was difficult for many people to leave yeah well um he he couldn't get permission for the first half of the book at least um you know was the, that the was that action was whether was that as an athlete, as an athlete or? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, he wasn't permitted. And there was this organization that um, it was sort of like part of the military, but it was sort of like um, if you were part of this organization, you were considered like, OK. And mm -hmm. he wasn't a part of that, but he wasn't. He was just a regular guy, you know, he wasn't involved in politics, you know, with the exception of what had happened to his family but um mm -hmm. so finally it was it the story of how random it seemed that they him and a couple other athletes on his team who were in the same position with having um family members or pasts that were deemed suspicious mm -hmm. um they ran into somebody at the airport and oh there was this woman she was sort of a celebrity her and her husband and i wrote her name down but now i can't find it of course but she they made friends with her flying into moscow uh one time for a competition and this woman introduced them to this high up political guy and um they said oh you know he wished them luck in rowing and but they said oh we're having trouble getting permission and so he cleared their papers. They had to go in, uh, uh, Pavilas and his coach, um, what is his coach's name? It was like basically Richard, Rick, Ricardus, mm -hmm. um, had to go in and be interviewed. Um, and oh, that reminds me, the funny thing is that Ricardus, he was their coach, but he's also in the eight. Oh, interesting. He was their coach, but he was rowing he, in the boat as well. <laughs> so, yeah, he was the stroke, I believe, because uh, maybe not. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure if he was a stroke, but Ricardus Vite Kivicius. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, 
lo and behold, they got permission because they ran into the right person at the airport. And um, they got booted from the eight because, you know, they wanted, they didn't want all Lithuanians in the eight. The four, it, it was a straight four that they ended up running in the Olympics. Um, and I believe they were all Lithuanians with the exception of one. Was this or for the, for the, but... was this for the Tokyo Olympics? So they yeah. were, rep so they were representing the Soviet Union in the Tokyo Olympics, but, but they were, did they go to Moscow like for selection to, to select for the, for the boats for the Olympics? Yes, they, they, the selection was a little bit murky, but it was, it was based on races and um, they were at different points were forced to mix in Russian rowers. Um, but it became clear that the boat went better with these, you know, most of the boat being the, the guys who had rowed together for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and so I forget that the name of the regatta where they were actually selected. Um, well, at, well, at that but time, I think it, yeah, at, well, at that time, I mean, during the time of the Soviet Union, they only had one team that represented the whole country. So they would have had at that time, um, selection would have involved athletes from Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Belarus, mm. Ukraine, Georgia, um, all, all the Moldova, all the republics of the Soviet Union. So they could have, you know, they could have been, um, you know, they could have been seat raced and then had combined boats, for example, because, for example, at that time, um, Kiev had a very, very strong school of rowing during during that era. And and so that would have been one Kiev Dynamo would have been one club that it would have been very strong. And then like here, if they came. Oh, from, yeah, yeah. If they came they from talked about that. Yeah. If they came from Lithuania, for example, they would have maybe had a very strong club system, but in order to go to the Olympics, there would only be say one team that represented the Soviet Union. So it could have been, for example, like a four could have won the trials and it might've been their four, for example, from their club, but they could also have, um, you know, athletes from, from all of the different republics, you know, at that, you know, because at that mm -hmm. time there was only one team that was only one team. So, yeah, they he did talk, uh, or the author talked at one point about um, going to training camp, you know, as a the national team or the union mm -hmm. team, um, and that was once they were, it was once they were selected or still when they were deciding. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that must be very difficult because that's quite a big area. I mean, you see it now with distributed um, camps or distributed clubs versus one unified national training center and it seems to go back and forth. Yes. Um, well, yeah, at that time, I mean, I mean, after, I mean, the, the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. And so all of these republics that were part of the Soviet Union are, became independent countries. So they, then they all have their own national teams now. So that's why, of course, in the Olympics, you will see, I mean, in the, the modern times now, you know, you will see that each 
Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, they, they all have Russia, they all have their own, they all have their own Olympic teams. But at that time, they were all just one. So, you know, it actually, yeah, you know, was extremely competitive, I would say, you know, I mean, from such a huge, huge sports system to have to make one, one team for so many people, you know, it had to be incredibly competitive. Do you think that era of the 60s, um, the early 60s in particular, was uh, was within that extremely competitive era? Like, was there? I th well, during during the Soviet during the Soviet time, um, sport sport science was very very developed, um, and and a lot of the athletes, you know, they lived they lived in camps, you know, they trained they trained practically full time, you know, maybe they weren't officially uh -huh. pro professionals, but you know, the, the training methodology and, and system was, was, you know, very, very intense, very competitive. I mean, because you've got so many people competing for a few spots. Um, so of course it, of yeah. course it drove the comp, you know, the competitive level I think was, was really extreme was really extreme i mean to um on all levels like if you think of gymnastics or row i mean i think every sport cross-country skiing um you know everything i think was extremely extremely competitive but it was also um if you were a member of the team it was a you know it was also a, a a level of life that had a lot of privileges to it as well right so yeah you know, there, there, there was incentive to, to be um, at the top of your sport for sure. There was definitely motivation to, to do that. That was mentioned in the book. the The members of the eight um, got apartments, mm -hmm. special apartments, but they didn't. It didn't go into that a, a whole lot, but um, yeah. What? Um, so, oh, there's. I was going to say for for Remo, kind of what what do you think her her main message was in the book? Like what inspired what inspired her to write to write this book? Because it's it's quite a big book, you know. I mean, it's, it's quite a detailed book. Yeah, yeah. It I I felt very um, close. Like I mean, obviously, I don't know. I've never met her or spoken to her, but to me she's a rower too and mm -hmm. she seems totally obsessed with rowing like in a good way in the <laughs> yeah. same way that I am I mean she she rode I I she was on the national team and I can't remember her results but I think they she rode at the national or the international level mm -hmm. and um but she she um she moved to do you know this city Trakai? Trakai, yes, 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 of course. And and there have been so um, she, sometimes there are international there's an international rowing course in, in Trakai and sometimes there sometimes there's international races there as well. Well, I think in sixty two was the first Amber Oars um regatta. Mm -hmm. And that that was a um, a big deal for them. I don't know if it's still held now, but they, you know, throughout the book, they held it every year after that. And um, 
so she now <laughs> she moved to Chukai from um, I'm forgetting where the family was from in Lithuania, but um, she runs a, a private club and a hotel. Mm. And it, she calls it a rowing hotel. And oh, you cool. can see pictures online. Uh-huh. And I, of course, I want to go there now. So, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's everything is rowing, you know, and it's beautiful. I, I hope I get to go there someday. So, I mean, as to what, you know, prompted her to write the book, I think it's, oh, she did talk about that. Um, I think it was some external reading. I don't think it was in the book. Mm-hmm. She did an interview with somebody, might have been Row 2K or um, Rowing News, but just that um, she never talked to her father about it before he passed away. And I think it was, you know, she and I are probably the same age, you know, like 51. And, um, you know, I, I'm developing this strong desire to know the stories of my family because mm-hmm. my grandfather was an immigrant and um, all my grandparents were, you know, didn't have English as their first language. So I, as I get older, I, I have more and more respect for what it must take to be an immigrant and, you know, what you have to go through and how hard it must be. And so I... I can only assume that that was a similar motivation for her mm-hmm. um, to know, to know more about her, she, like her father's just the history and how he, yeah, how he trained and uh, how, you know, how he was successful in rowing and, and did he, did he yeah. make the four that went to the Olympics finally? He did. And they were disappointed in um their results they um i think they i think they won the petite final mm-hmm. but the, the i've heard this at other regattas that the course was not very fair um the protected lanes were uh five and six i believe and if it was pretty much across the board that lanes six took first place lane five took second and so on through the lanes um and they had no system that the japanese uh really tried very hard to build uh is it called a wave attenuator is that yes yeah 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 exactly something that if there's a crosswind um they'll build like a it, it might be like a break wall or something that that tries to inter you know prevent a crosswind for example to protect the lanes to make them as as uh, fair as they can for example they have one in sarasota for example they have a it's like it's like oh. a wall it's like a wall that that goes out that divides the main race course from say the practice area yeah i know they built one for um the 2020 olympics and I, I couldn't really tell what it was just from watching on television. But anyway, they hung up a, a, a curtain to, in an effort, like hundreds of people, she said, hung up this curtain right before the game started because, um, oh, I forget who was the FISA president at the time. Uh, I don't remember. It couldn't have been Keller. But anyway, um, 
they really did make the effort to try to make it fair, but it, it wasn't. So, um, yeah. And he, so they, I mean, they did well, but of course not as well as he would have wanted, but that was his one Olympics, uh, Povilas, because he ran afoul of the government. Um, they, he was also a photographer, which she has published another book of all his photographs yeah. from Tokyo that he took. And, um, just at the end of the book, um, he and one of his friends um, met some Australians and they snuck out at night to go to a party with the Australians. Oh, and he took, you know, he had his camera with him. I don't know if he got, he talked about his camera not being good enough to get um, good night shots. But um, <laughs> this was the Olympics, by the way, where the Japanese had to, because they kept postponing races because of the weather, they had no lights. And so oh, the final okay. race, which was the eight, they shot up um, flares oh, to gosh. light up the last 500 meters. I mean, it gives me chills just to think of it. And, and you know, at the whole time I'm reading this book, I'm thinking, oh, is the eight going to win? <laughs> and then I'm forgetting that I know who won the eighth race, and that was the U.S. This was in 1964. Yes, in 1964. And in fact, my double is named William Connect, and Bill Connect rode in that 1964 uh, boat. So, <laughs> yes, and Bill Stowe, and uh, yes, yes, there, there was... Um, that yeah, you know yeah, the, you know boy. the result of it, but it's yeah. interesting interesting to know to read the story about uh, other people who were in that event, right? And uh, from it from is. another country, yeah. another era. Yeah, and um, you know, in the the um, the Soviet Union, eight they came, I think fifth place, and they were devastated because they had the speed, um, but two days before the, um, I think before the opening ceremony, one or two days before the coach and his name was uh, Samsonov, I believe. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't get a chance to Google him. I don't know if he was a famous coach, um, but he made them, uh, they, were, they were exhausted. And the one friend of Pavilas asked, his back was hurting and he said, can we, not trained today and he spoke up which was unusual but the coach said okay we'll only do we'll do the um we'll do the starting sprint and then we'll do a finish sprint and that's it mm -hmm. well when they got out on the course he made them row 2000 meters they did it in 554 and that was the world I think it was a world record at that time. They did it in practice. Mm -hmm. And um, the the friend's back was so terrible that they just had nothing left for the final. And so that's, I think, feeds in a little bit to the topic of the day, which is discipline. Yes. Well, yeah, ab absolutely. Like if, um, what do you think if you had to say like, one thing that impressed you as a big takeaway from this book, what would it be? Um, well, the one boat it, from the Soviet Union that won a gold medal was the, I believe it was the pair, uh -huh. not the double. 
could have been the devil, but they were the only ones who refused to do the coaches training because they were exhausted and they won. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, big takeaway from the book. It's, it's, I mean, again, every time I read a rowing book, what I love is feeling connected to rowers from any era, you know, hundreds of years ago. I, I just like, I mean, that's how I feel about rowing. Mm -hmm. um, I feel connected to everybody, which is a little uh, rose tinted glasses, but honestly, that's how I feel. And I came away feeling like that and just, you know, how I would really like to meet the author and, um, you know, just see more, see more rowers in other countries. And so that's kind of my takeaway. Yeah. Well, and, and their stories because every, that's one thing we don't know, right. As viewing a regatta, or an Olympic final or any, any championship regatta, you know, every person has a story of how yes. they got to that seat and why they're sitting in that seat or not sitting in that seat. And, and, you know, those, those are the things that are interesting that, you know, what, how did that person get to that point? What brought them to that point? Um, and, you know, and those are the things that we don't know unless somebody shares that with us, right? You don't know what somebody's yeah, yeah. Story, story is. And um, uh, yeah. one of the, for those uh, those people who are interested on our website, on the FasterMastersRowing.com, we have a page called the Best Rowing Books of 2020. And, you know, with Jess's help, we keep adding books. And, and it's actually one of the most... Um, visited pages that we have because obviously masters rowers like reading so you know we we definitely we appreciate that and you know jess is finding good books for us from all different from all different walks of life so to speak but but today's topic you know um one of our podcast topics today is is practicing the art of discipline and again when we go back to the stories of how elite athletes achieve what they achieve or any of us achieve what we achieve, you know, there is some element of discipline in there. And, and, um, when you, when you hear the word, like the art of discipline, what comes to your mind? <laughs> um, well, the first thing that came to my mind when I read the topic was the book by Mike Livingston, who, um, and it's called, Di it's something discipline is in the title. I can't it's mental discipline. Right yeah. Now, mental but... discipline. Yes. Okay. Well, this is the book that was referenced by one of the books of all books of rowing, which is assault at, on Lake Casitas mm -hmm. by Brad Lewis. And he mentions this book and how pivotal it was for him um, as an athlete um, in the 84 Olympics. And, um, you know, Mike Livingston, who wrote the book, was in the, was it the 72 U.S. 8? I can't remember. Um, but anyhow, he's a rower, too. And I have the book, but have not yet read it. So that's the first thing I thought of. But discipline, I, I struggle with consistency. And so that's sort of what was rattling around in my head, like the mm -hmm. difference between consistency and discipline and you know you know thinking about the soviet 
rowers and when you tell your coach i can't i need to rest i mean i have yet to meet a rower who is like really okay with that i mean you might mm -hmm. have come to that eventually but um it's a it's a very blurry line and i don't think i'm good at it like i don't know i don't think <laughs> oh. i'm disciplined <laughs> <laughs> well you're honest about it well i i i think there's some diff there, there there's some different ways to view discipline i mean one we can look at discipline like it is simply the practice of an art right so you you can look at rowing as a discipline you can look at painting as a discipline or um, uh, any sport, you know, you, you can look at it as a discipline of something that you do on a regular basis. Um, then you can think about, I, th I think the art of discipline, like you said, is connected to consistency and consistency. And I think that it, it will stem from commitment. I, I, you know, I think, I think we all experience this as as athletes or just in life you know um if we decide to do something we make a commitment to it and if we make a commitment to it then it's much easier for us to be disciplined about our choices because i think i think discipline is something that everybody has different different variations of discipline like there are the people who are the really strict rule followers, right? So whatever the rule is, they do that. That's their discipline. They do, they follow everything to a T. There are the people who are the 80-20 kind of people, right? So, and I, and I personally believe if you are 80% in, whether it's your, your diet, your habits, your training, you know, if you're an 80-20 kind of a person, I think that, um, you know, I think you're going to be successful generally, um, you know, because sometimes a hundred percent, some people need a hundred percent, but sometimes a hundred percent is too extreme for many people to maintain consistency. And overall, I think discipline is connected in my own opinion is connected to consistency. So, you know, if you can be pretty consistent over the long term, I think you're going to get where you want to get to as long as you have a vision of what that is. Um, I think when when you don't have any discipline, you know, maybe maybe for some people their goals aren't clear. Um, maybe for not maybe it doesn't work for everybody. You know, I'm not a perfect psycho uh, psychotherapist here, but maybe it doesn't work perfectly for everybody. Um, but I, I, I do think that there, there, you know, there are always time discipline is when you, you perform and sometimes it's, it's difficult. You know, there's always going to be times when you don't want to do it, but you have to, or it, it's part of the consistency and you know that, which I think is different from, for example, when you know, I need to rest today, I need to recover today, I need to... That I don't I don't think that that's necessarily going against discipline, but I think discipline fits into the the bigger picture of having a goal and it helps you make little decisions all along the day. Like, for example, if, if our goal is to perform in 
XYZ regatta and you have to row lightweight, right? It's going to help you decide about your diet the six months before. It's going to help you decide on your training program. So, you know, I think I think commitment and discipline probably goes probably goes hand in hand somewhat. Um, but but some some people are are quite successful with their own form of. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily one form of discipline, but I do think it's a regular it's a regular practice. Um, and, and that's where like, I think habits fit in there or accountability, like the team, you know, that, that can be a big factor as well. Um, yeah, definitely. you know, you know, I mean, some people, I think some people need the accountability factors because they will be accountable to a team and to other people more than they will be accountable to their, to themselves. So it's, that's it's, me, hundred percent. Uh huh. So, but it's you know, so it's an important, um, you know, it's. I think I think it's an important uh, realization just to know that about yourself. You know, to know that, hey, I can. I'm really good at training by myself, but I want that Saturday morning practice where I go and I compete with other people. Or, you know, that it's really hard for me to, to do X, Y, Z on my own. So I, I like to have a training partner. I like to have a team. And I think knowing that about yourself is, is quite, you know, quite important. Yeah. And I think you're right. What you said. And, you know, I've, I've asked you this before, like, you know, I never missed practice when I was on the team, like ever, like, well, when I was really sick. Right. But that was like once or twice. And, um, and I cannot train on my own. Like, I mean, I've learned, I've gotten better. I've gotten a lot better, but still it's that clarity of the goal that really helps. Yes. Um, yes. And it's also knowing how hard it is to train on your own. It helps, um, it helps build in, like you said, habits. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, and, and people to just, you know, get support just to get support and go through, you know, if you have certain struggles, you know, everybody needs a little bit like, okay, maybe you need a little extra rest today or, okay, maybe let's just go out and do this. You know, we, 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 we can do this, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, having, having those people who, who can definitely support you and help you, I think helps with the, the discipline, you know, that's the accountability yeah. and, uh, you know, actually, I think we wrote about that in this this month's um, Faster Masters program. I think Re uh, Re Rebe uh, Rebecca wrote a really good article about having an accountability partner and how that helps. And I think, you know, knowing what you need to perform better and that and definitely, you know, makes a difference and it, and it helps. And, you know, if you need it and yeah. I think most people do, especially when the going gets tough, you know, most people do need it. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah. I look at discipline as, you know, creating good habits, consistency. Um, but I think I think what fuels that that discipline is also, you know, just having a goal. And, and it does the goal doesn't have to be the Olympics. The goal could be I want to row three times a week or I want to you know, do this regatta with my team, it can be, you know, there are lots of different levels of levels of goals that um, can still help us build discipline and give us 
some structure and predictability to our day. <laughs> we all need that. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And if I ever read that mental discipline book, well, I'll uh, do a review on that one. I'll give it <laughs> yes. a whirl sometime. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, it's quite an intense book. Um, I have it myself and, you know, maybe that, that, that's our winter reading project, right? Once, once we're off the water, yeah. I think. And, um, well, I would like to, I'm, I'm just, thank you for being with us. And Rebecca will be back with us next week, but, um, her book was called Rowing Through the Barbed Wire Fence by Rima Caroline. And it is avail available on Amazon. And, uh, we will have a link to the book in the show notes when we've when we publish that and um, I'm going to say thank you to everybody. This has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. So become a student of the sport and a Faster Masters Rowing program subscription today at www.fastermastersrowing.com slash join. And thank you everyone for being with us. And thank you, Jess. Bye, everyone. Bye, Marlene. Bye, Jess.